Over the past week, America has become the focus of great turmoil following the riots in Charlottesville, Virginia. White supremacists and others marched to protest the planned removal of a statue commemorating the Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Several states have been removing statues over the past year, and this has been raising the ire of some of its citizens. Well, what are we to make of all this? During the past few years, there has been growing movement to remove Confederate monuments throughout the southern United States. There are estimated to be 718 Confederate statutes and monuments across the U.S., of which 300 are in the southern states of Georgia, Virginia, and North Carolina. A number of other U.S. towns and cities have plans to take down their Confederate statutes. One was removed in Florida, town of Gainesville, on Monday, while Lexington in Kentucky also has plans to move two monuments. Some towns have covered up the monuments while to decide what to do with them. New Orleans Mayor Mitch Landrieu addressed his city in May, hours after a statue of General Robert E. Lee was removed from Lee's Circle, where it stood over the black-majority city for 133 years. In his speech, he described the New Orleans past. He said, New Orleans was America's largest slave market, a port where hundreds of thousands of souls were brought and sold, shipped to the Mississippi River to live lives of forced labor or misery and of rape and of torture. America was the place where nearly 4,000 of our fellow citizens were lynched, 540 alone in Louisiana where the courts enshrined separate but equal, where freedom riders coming to New Orleans were beaten to a bloody pulp. He went on to state, as President George W. Bush said at the dedication ceremony for the National Museum of African American History and Culture, a great nation does not hide its history, it faces its flaws and it corrects them. Well, the historic record is clear. Robert E. Lee, Jefferson Davis... PGT Beauregard statues were not erected just to honor these men, but as part of a movement which became known as the Cult of the Lost Cause. This cult had one goal, through monuments and through other means, to rewrite history to hide the truth, which is that the Confederacy was on the wrong side of humanity. The controversy that has erupted, the riots, the murder, the violence, has sprung out of a generations-long struggle with America's past. What was behind the American Civil War? What were the core issues? Who were the core players? There was much more going on than what is portrayed in the media today. As Bible believers, we should expect this because we are told in the prophetic word of a system that would involve itself with all the rulers of the world. We read in Revelation 18 verse 3, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Well, there is a connection between the Catholic Church and the Confederate struggle that is an inconvenient truth which revisionists have taken great effort to write out of history. The American Civil War was a struggle between the Unionists who wanted to unite all of America under one federal government and the Confederates who wanted to secede from the Union and form their own independent nation that protected their way of life and values. One of the institutions the South fought to protect, perhaps the most infamous, was the slave industry. Its institutions and industry depended on the slave industry to maintain itself. But the events in America didn't happen in a bubble. While the American Civil War was coming to the boil, another war of unification was raging in Italy. 
liberal Republicans were attempting to unite the country and break up the age-old divisions which had separated the country since the fall of the Roman Empire. Garibaldi and his red-shirt Republicans were fighting against the conservative despotism of the institutions of Italy, headquartered in Rome with the Pope and the Catholic Church, undergirded by both Austrian and French governments at different times. The time of Catholic despotism, or the temporal power of the papacy, was coming to an end. The 1260 years of persecution were drawing to a close. Daniel had prophesied of the little horn, which would replace three of the ten horns of the fourth beast in chapter 7 and verse 8, where he writes, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up from among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Well, this blaspheming little horn is reflected on by Paul in Second Thessalonians, where he titles it the man of sin, who would be a falling away or an apostasy. In chapter 2 and verses 3 to 12, he would blaspheme God and exalt himself. We read, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalt himself of above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Well, Daniel relates that this system would have the power to persecute saints or believers only for a period. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 21, we read, I beheld the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. However, this power would be time limited. As we read further down in verses 25 to 26, he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws and there shall be given into his hand until a time, times, and dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit and they shall take away his dominion and consume and destroy it unto the end. Well, the period of time given by Daniel is a time, or 360 days, times, or 360 days times two, and the dividing of time, or 360 days divided by two, which would total 1260 prophetic day years. This commenced in 607 with the decree of Phocus, enshrining the papacy as the head of all churches and ending around the year 1876. Well, the papacy ruled over the papal states in central Italy from the time of the donation of Pepin around 758. Prophetic writer Robert Fleming Jr. in his book The Rise and Fall of the Papacy, written in 1701, reflected on these time periods, stating in pages 70 to 71, Therefore, we may justly reckon that the papal head took its first rise from the remarkable year 606, when Phocas did in a manner devolve the government of the West upon him by giving him the title of universal bishop. From which period, if we date the 1260 years, they lead us down, as I have already said, to the year 1866. He looked for the destruction of the temporal power of the Pope around this period of time, but beginning around the time period of the French Revolution. He had previously written about this in pages 139 to 140. 
where he said the fifth vial, which is to be poured out upon the seat of the beast, or the dominions that more immediately belong to and depend upon the Roman sea, that, I say, this judgment will probably begin about the year 18, or 1794, and expire about the year 1848, so that the duration of it, upon this supposition, will be the space of 54 years. For I do suppose that seeing the Pope receive the title of Supreme Bishop no sooner than the year 606, he cannot be supposed to have had any vial poured upon his seed immediately, so as to ruin his authority so significantly as this judgment must be supposed to do. Until the year 1848, which is the date of the 1260 years in prophetical account, when they are reckoned from the year 606. But yet we are not to imagine that the vial will totally destroy the papacy, though it will exceedingly weaken it, for we find this still being alive when the next vial is poured out. Amazingly, the prophetic time periods worked out so that the French Revolution, beginning in 1789, saw the limiting of the power of the Pope, and Rome fell to the rebellion in 1848, as the Republicans tried to unite Italy. The Pope fled from the Vatican. The French remained loyal to the papacy, restored the papacy to Rome. On July 3, 1849, the French army entered Rome. On April 12, 1850, Pius IX entered Rome and was restored as leader. In 1868, he eventually lost control of papal states and his temporal power. But what has all this got to do with the Confederate States? All the controversy about statues celebrating men enshrining slavery are closely related to the decaying papal temporal power of the times. The rise of the Republic in Italy sparked a response from the American consul, Nicholas Brown. We read that he immediately told the revolutionary government that so deeply rooted in every American heart is the love of liberty that the American people will at once hail with joy the independence of the Roman Republic long before their diplomatic agents can have time in due official form to give expression to the generous sentiments of their constituency. Now, what's interesting about this is the northern states of America had supplied moral and military support to the Unionists of Italy, selling them ironclad warships to aid in their conquest against the Papal States and their French protectors. No doubt this had a negative impact on the relationship between the Americans and the Papacy. According to the revisionist Catholic historian Robert Matassi, he says, liberalism encouraged the uprise that drove Pope Pius from Rome. So the Pope opposed liberalism and a united Italy at every turn. As efforts for unification gained greater support throughout the peninsula, the Rome and Pope became increasingly conservative and autocratic in his opposition. After the rebellion, the Pope retaliated by opposing everything related to the failed Roman Republic. America had shown some degree of support for the Roman Republic and its liberal ideology, so the papacy's relationships with the United States suffered as a result. As long as the French expressed willingness to militarily hold or uphold the Pope's secular control of Rome, the Pope was free to continue his opposition to liberalism. 
This is in the book, The Pope and the Presidents, The Italian Unification and the American Civil War, written in 2015. Well, the northern states in America, of America were considered by the southern state confederates to be infected by liberal republicanism, just as the southern Italian states being united by Garibaldi were viewed by the Catholic Church. Both the Confederates and the Catholics saw themselves as defenders of a way of life they wanted to hold on to. The Southern Confederates wanted to, their own laws to maintain the oppression of men through slavery. The Pope wanted to maintain his despotic temporal power over the Papal States and keep them locked into the medieval feudalistic system that had served the Papacy well for so long. Now, the scriptures talk of the Catholic system as being traitors in souls of men. We read in Revelation 18, verses 11 to 13, The merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, the Catholic harlot system, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stone and pearls and fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, thyme wood, all manner of vessels of ivory, all manner of vessels of most precious wood and brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and oil and wine and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and the souls of men. Well, the church has traded in slaves and souls of men for many years, both through the physical slave trade, but also through the selling of indulgencies to desperate widows who were told that their husbands, sons, and parents would not be delivered from the imaginary purgatory without paying the priests of the church for prayers for the departed. Well, on December 20th, 1860, the state of South Carolina announced that it would secede from the Union and become a separate republic. The federal government responded by calling on other states to send troops to suppress South Carolina. Six southern states refused to comply and joined South Carolina to form the Confederate States of America, with Jefferson Davis as their president. When the liberal Republican Abraham Lincoln was sworn in as president, the South saw it as the end of their way of life. Now, most historians agree that it was the decision by Chief Justice Roger B. Taney, a Roman Catholic, that was the pretext for the Southern Confederacy's igniting of the great American Civil War. Taney's decision in the Dred Scott versus Stanford case stated, Blacks had no rights with which, or which the white man was bound to respect, and that the Negro might justify and lawfully be reduced to slavery for his benefit. He was brought and sold and treated as an ordinary article of merchandise and traffic whenever profit could be made by it. Well, this statement by Chief Justice of America was used as a pretest for defending the Southern way of life. Although from the North, he was considered one of the instigators of the Confederate South's case. This has been tactical policy of the Jesuits from their inception. Divide a nation and conquer it. The Catholic Justice statue was removed Friday, August the 18th, 2017, from the Mount Vernon place in Baltimore as part of the campaign to shut down glorification of the Confederate South. Well, the opening shot of the Confederate Rebellion rang out April 12, 1861, one month after Lincoln was proclaimed President of the United States, the 4th of March, 1861. 
The papacy saw the Confederates of the South as their champions on the continent and stuck their oar deep into the situation. Abraham Lincoln saw Catholic interference in American politics resulting in dire consequences. Canadian Catholic priest Charles Shinneke, and later friend of Abraham Lincoln, who authored the book Fifty Years in the Church of Rome, quoted Abraham Lincoln as having stated, I do not pretend to be a prophet, but though not a prophet, I see a very dark cloud on the horizon, and that dark cloud is coming from Rome. A cyclone such as the world has never seen will pass over this country, spreading ruin and desolation from north to south. Neither I nor you, but our children, will see those things. Well, Lincoln is quoted by Shinneke as stating, The war, the Civil War that is, of 1861 to 1865, would never have been possible without the sinister influences of the Jesuits. Well, who fired the first shots? It was, of course, General Beauregard, who was the first Confederate general officer and then appointed as Brigadier General in the Provisional Army of the Confederate States. He was a Roman Catholic and the man who ordered the first gun to be fired in the, at the Union armies at Fort Sumter on the 12th of April, 1861, beginning the Civil War. General Beauregard's statue was removed from New Orleans on May the 17th, 2017. Well, the president of the Confederation was Jefferson Davies. Jefferson attended the Catholic School of St. Thomas Aquinas, operated by the Domitian Order in Kentucky. He was the only Protestant student at the school and fell under the influence of Catholicism. According to Catholic historian Robert Matusi, the Southern Confederacy had more Catholic influence than the North. He writes, further, the anti-Catholic nativism that swept much of the United States in the decades before the Civil War was less persistent in the South, and several key Southern individuals had escaped it. Confederate Protestant Jefferson Davies, for example, despite his Episcopalian faith, attainted St. Thomas College, a Catholic institution. A large example of the influence of Catholicism on the Southern politics can be seen before the war in 1848. In that year, the legislature of Louisiana passed a resolution commendatory of Pope Pius IX and in favor of the establishment of diplomatic relations with the court of Rome. Well, Davis sought the Pope's recognition for the Confederation in a letter he wrote September 1863 and sent it by the hand of a man named Ambrose Dudley Mann, Commissioner of the Confederate States of America for Belgium and the Vatican, who arrived at the Vatican November 1863. Pope Pius IX's response in December addressed his letter to the illustrious and honorable Jefferson Davies, President of the Confederate States of America, Richmond. This was de facto recognition of the Confederate government. Although revisionist historians have argued against it, prominent figures from both sides of the argument at the time give it credence. Dudley Mann was ecstatic and wrote President Davis, stating, This letter will grace the archives of the executive office in all coming time. It will live to forever in history as the production of the first potentate who formally recognized your official position and a accorded to one of the diplomatic representatives of the Confederate States an audience in the established court palace. 
The Times Piscineau in occupied New Orleans and the center of the Southern Catholicism recorded one of our journalists asserts that the address the illustrious and honorable president is a virtual acknowledgement by the distinguished personage of the independence of the Southern Confederacy. And this is from a letter in the New Orleans newspaper, January of 1864. Roman Catholics of the day attested to the letter as being recognition. A father, John Bannon, a Confederate Catholic chaplain born in Ireland and living in Missouri, was approached by the Confederate government and asked to lead a mission to Ireland to try to dissuade Irishmen from immigrating to the north and enlisting in its military. He met the Pope in October 1863. He certified across Ireland that the letter was recognition of the Confederate government by the papacy. Even General Robert E. Lee, the leader of the Confederate armies, confirmed the same. In a book called The Unconquerable Heart, Jefferson Davis, writer Felicity Allen states, even Robert E. Lee, pointing to his own portrait of Pius IX, told a visitor after the war that he was the only sovereign, that is the Pope, in Europe who recognized our poor confederacy. The statue of General Robert E. Lee was removed on May 19, 2017, the last of the four Confederate monuments in New Orleans to be taken down. Well, Lee wasn't the only one to see things this way. The Cincinnati Inquirer, January 19, 1864, ran a headline, Recognition of the Confederate Government by the Pope in Rome, Important Correspondence. At the end of the war, President Davis was imprisoned, and pious affinity to the failed Confederacy and its president was firmly demonstrated. We read that Pius sent Jefferson Davis an autographed photo of himself while Davis was imprisoned after the war. On the photo, the Pope offered the former Confederate the words of Christ that the oppressed should turn to God, and that he would give them rest, handwriting in Latin the words of Matthew 11, verse 28. Well, in New Orleans Confederate Civil War Museum, there is a crown of thorns. And this crown of thorns was weaved for Jefferson Davis, president of the Confederacy, by Pope Pius IX. The Pope sent sent it as a sign of compassion, while the Pope himself was prisoner in the Vatican after the fall of the Papal States under the forces of Garibaldi. The Jefferson Davis statue was removed in New Orleans Thursday, May 11, 2017. Well, following the Civil War, President Lincoln was gunned down by the Catholic John Wilkes Booth, who was aided by Jesuit conspirators. The forgotten story is recorded in Charles Shinneke's book, Fifty Years in the Church of Rome. Shinneke, historian Constant Head, and Booth's own sister, Asia Booth Clark, all confirmed that Booth had converted to Catholicism. Catholic historian Robert Matusi drew a connection between the assassination of Lincoln and Pius IX. He writes, The church became involved in the aftermath of the Lincoln assassination. John Surratt, a Catholic accused with his mother and several friends of conspiring to kidnap and assassinate President Lincoln, was pursued by Union forces in the aftermath of President Lincoln's assassination. Rather than being captured, tried, and hung like his mother, Mary Surratt, John Surratt managed to escape with the aid of the Catholic Church. He was smuggled to Rome, where he ultimately served Pope Pius in the papal Zuvars. While the Pope's 
actions towards Jefferson Davis certainly showed personal affinity between the two figures, the acceptance of John Surratt into the papal military fostered the belief that the Pope's sympathy was more widespread among former Confederates than just toward the Confederate president. This is very similar to the Catholic rat lines that smuggled Nazi war criminals out of Germany into South America following the fall of Nazi Germany. They traveled using Vatican-issued Red Cross passports through a series of Catholic churches, monasteries, and safe houses, until safely spirited away from the men who were trying to bring them to justice for their crimes against humanity, and specifically for the Holocaust. Well, while the removal of statues of Confederates has caused much uproar in the United States today, what has been forgotten is the connection between these men and the Vatican. They were the tools of the Vatican's that tried to hold on to despotic grip over the papal states and maintain its influence in the world. As we read in Revelation, all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Well, while the Confederacy did not rise from the dead, and its monuments are being removed today, the Vatican survived by confederating itself with the fascist Prime Minister Benito Mussolini in 1929. The Vatican signed an accord with Mussolini, whereby the Italian government agreed to give the Church financial compensation for the loss of the Papal States and recognized the Vatican City as an independent state. So, no longer a temple power, it became the smallest state in the world, a single city. And we read of this, of course, in Revelation 17, verse 18. Here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman, the harlot of Revelation, sitteth. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. The confederation may have been destroyed long ago, and its statutes are taken down today, causing an uproar. However, nothing will parallel the uproar when the great city and its statues are destroyed at Christ's return. We read in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8 that when that wicked shall be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Or as the words of Revelation puts it, therefore shall her plagues come in one day death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her, and the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and live deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour her judgment is come. Revelation 18, verses 8 to 10. So keep watching the Bible in the news, for greater turmoil is to come. This has been Jonathan Bowen joining you.